We're about to hear Ash speak. The last of the Minor Prophets series. It's been a terrific series. I was a little bit something. Oh, Minor Prophets through the summer. I've been won over by the brilliant way in which we've had these teachings over the last few weeks. You can sit down if you want to now. Uh, ever since Jürgen magnificently brought that overview weeks back, and then our subsequent speakers have delivered a treat to us Sunday by Sunday. We're now coming to the very last one, which Ash is about to come up on stage and speak from the book of Hosea. Let me just tell you this, that after this is the last of the Minor Prophets, the series ends today, and then we feel, as a leadership, to go back into Acts. It's kind of where we're at as a church at the moment, that we feel just exactly what you've heard from Ezekiel 47, that the river goes out from the temple, the life of the Lord Jesus goes from this church out into the town and joins it with other tributaries, other churches in the town. And together we proclaim the, the glory of who Jesus is. And so let's just welcome Ash. Let him come on up. Come on, Ash. Come on, man. And um, I'm just going to pray for you, Ash. Um, and uh, so let's have a, our Bibles ready for Hosea. It's a treat of a book. It's an emo- as Vinnie Jones, if I can bring it right down to prosaic, <laughs> it's emotional. And uh, it's quite a book to tell us about the Father heart of God. So Lord, we just pray now as we end this Minor Prophets series. We've learned so much from it, so much. And we pray now that as we close this and go back into the dynamics of Acts, that we will lose none of what you're teaching us as a church. Bless Ash as he brings the word with anointing and power and sensitivity in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Clive. I went to Clive this morning. I said, Clive, you're a wise man, a seasoned man who's preached many a time. What is the key to not having sweat patches when you preach? And he turned around and said one word. He said, right, God. I said, right, okay. Fair enough. So... I don't know if it's the heat or the nerves, but, you know, I do apologise to, to the church for that. But I, was, um, I was leaving home this morning, got in my car, just about to drive out my driveway to come to church, and I saw this cat lying in the middle of the road without a care in the world, just on its back, in the middle of the road, didn't care that there was a path, didn't care that the road is not meant to be lied in, the cat was just there, didn't care that cars might drive past, and I thought to myself, you know what? I want to be like that cat. I want to be that carefree. And, and what I mean by that is not that I'm, I care less, as in I don't have compassion or kindness towards other people, but it's that I, I'm carefree of the cares of the world, of the things that are happening in the world, the, the wars and the, these, these messages of crisis and financial difficulty, that I can just be like that cat and just have my mind, my heart, and my eyes fixed on the Lord. He's our ever-present help in time of need. And I don't want the cares to come into my heart. And, and that's a little bit of Hosea. We read that the people, Israel at the time, were more concerned about the people around them and the, and the nations around them and the things around them than God who was in front of them. And before I get into Hosea, I just want to, is it a little bit boomy or are we all right? Fine, that's good. Before we get into Hosea, I just want to read this from Hosea 6, chapter 1. I mean, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 6, because I I want this to kind of set the tone and the foundation as we look into this book. So Hosea 6, 1 to 6 says, Come and let us return to the Lord, 
For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. That way, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like the morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and by your judgments, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So Hosea, um, Hosea, whose name means salvation, prophesied during the eighth century BC. So kind of like this, this message, this talk this morning is gonna be in two parts. The first part, I'm gonna do my best to give us a, a brief overview of the book of Hosea, a little bit of historical context and the main theme. It wouldn't be quite fruitful to read all 14 chapters of Hosea and then preach on it. We, you know, we have to be mindful of time. So it's gonna give us a brief introduction and overview of Hosea. So Hosea's name is Salvation and he prophesied during the eighth century BC. His ministry began while Azariah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II was king of Israel. Hosea began prophesying during a time of general prosperity in Israel. They were conquering their enemies, they were doing well, there was financial prosperity. You know, Israel had kind of come into a place and a season of, of military strength and economic strength. And this is when Hosea's ministry began. Um, idolatry and the worship of Baal had started to spread amongst the nation. Um, however, Hosea's ministry was primarily aimed towards the kingdom of the north. During the lifetime of Hosea, Israel would experience political and spiritual turmoil. Hosea the prophet was a contemporary of Amos in the north and Isaiah and Micah in the south. Hosea's personal life illustrates his message probably more than any other prophet in the Bible. Hosea's domestic life was a dramatic and tragic prophetic message to the unfaithfulness of God's people at that time. And probably more than any other character in the Bible, Hosea introduces the concept of the bridegroom God. That God is betrothed to his people, that God loves his people, that God has an everlasting covenant with his people. And when we, when, and the, the message of Hosea and the life message of Hosea, he introduces this, this concept of God as a bridegroom, God who's married his people, God who longs for intimacy and relationship and fellowship with his creation. So some historical context of Hosea. There are 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. In 930 BC, 10 out of, the tri 10 out of 12 tribes formed the kingdom to the north with the tribe of Benjamin and Judah forming the kingdom of the south. And each kingdom had its own king. So both the north and the south kingdoms were God's chosen covenant people. A basic outline for the book of Hosea, chapter one to chapter three, God and Hosea are betrothed to an adulterer. Chapter four to 13 speaks of God's dealings and God's judgments with Israel 
as a result of their unfaithfulness and as a result of them turning their hearts and turning away from the Lord. And then beautifully in chapter 14, Hosea speaks a message of God's redemption and restoration for the wayward nation of Israel. So the book of Hosea, interestingly, is referred to at least eight to nine times in the New Testament. Paul, Peter, John, Matthew, and Jesus all quote from the book of Hosea in the New Testament. It kind of makes Hosea probably the most quoted minor prophet in the New Testament. And interesting, the book of Hosea itself is extremely prophetic concerning God's future plans for the world. While Hosea prophesied to Israel and his generation and his life was a prophetic message, the book of Hosea points to um, the redemption of the Gentiles, the redemption of the whole world. It talks about the Messiah coming into the world. But before we get into that, um, on, the, on the slides we'll see a little parallel between the life of Hosea and the Lord. So in chapter one, verse three, Hosea marries um, a woman called Gomer, and then the parallel is in chapter one, verse seven, God is a faithful husband to Israel. In chapter one, verse nine, Hosea has a second son whose name means not my people. And in chapter one, verse nine of the same book, God declares that the Israelites are not his people. And it, 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 they were God's covenant chosen people, but they're chosen to talk away. So it wasn't God declaring they are not my people, because when you read the book of Hosea, the Israelites are clearly God's covenant chosen people, and he promises to redeem and restore them. I believe rather what God is saying is these people have chosen not to be my people. They've turned their face. They've turned their heart from me. They're no longer my people. So, yes, I mean, sadly, Hosea is asked by God to, <laughs> to name his children um, as a prophetic message and sign as well. Um, so chapter three, verse one, Hosea's love is not returned by his wife. And in the same chapter, God's love is not returned by the Israelites. Gomer pursues other men, so his wife goes astray, she's an adulterer, she pursues other lovers, she pursues other men in chapter three, verse one. And in chapter four, verse one, we read that Israel did the same, they pursued other gods, they started to worship other gods, they started to mix with the other nations, they started to turn their hearts and their face away from the Lord. In chapter three, Hosea pays a price to redeem and restore Gomer back to himself. So the Lord says, Hosea, just as I love Israel, I want you to love your wife. I want you to go and purchase her back from this lover. So Hosea goes and says to this, you know, this man that's taken his wife in, says, I want to buy my wife back from you. I mean, wow, it's just, just amazing. It speaks of God's heart to, to buy us back, to redeem us back, that even when we go astray, even when Israel went astray, God would buy her back with his own love. So chapter 14, verse eight, as a comparison, God promises to redeem and restore the unfaithful nation of Israel. So obviously it would be unfruitful to read all 14 books, um, so I've just got four portions of scripture that I'd like to read. Apologies, there'll be a bit of reading, but it's not a bad thing to read the word of God in church, is it? So. 
I'll be reading from Hosea chapter one, chapter three, chapter four, and chapter 14, which will give us the main theme and heart of this book. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. Some other translations would say, go marry a, an adulterous woman or go marry a, a woman of harlotry, but go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he, that's Hosea, married Gomer, daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Hosea chapter three, verse one to three. The Lord said to me, this is Hosea, the Lord speaking to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man as an, and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, I was quite confused. What on earth is a sacred raisin cake? Like, you know, I totally understand turning to other gods, turning away from the Lord, but, you know, why would the Lord highlight sacred raisin cakes? And kind of in my studies and try, trying to work out and, you know, reading different commentaries and stuff like that, apparently a raisin cake was not so much a cake with raisins in it, but it was fruit pressed together by the working of someone's hands. So you took fruit and you pressed it together and you make, made cake so you could take it around and you could carry it with you, you could eat it where you went. And I thought, why is that significant? And I'm gonna quickly jump to chapter 14 to try and help us to understand that a little bit more. And it says, so Hosea chapter 14, verse three, it says, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say anymore to the work of our hands, you are our gods. That's extremely important. It's very significant. We will not say anymore to the work of our hands that you are our gods. So Israel turned to other gods and they loved the sacred raisin cakes. They loved what was built and pressed together by the working of man's hand. They're more concerned about what their own lives and what other people were doing and what they could build and what they could receive. They turned their hearts from the Lord in that context. I hope that that kind of makes some sense. Anyway, let's go back to Hosea chapter three, verse two. So Hosea, he says, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way toward you. I mean, this, this verse speaks powerfully just of Hosea's heart that he was even willing to be obedient to the Lord, to love his wife again, to forgive her and to purchase her back. But Hosea as a prophet was, was living a prophetic message that revealed the heart of God, that God, even in Israel's unfaithfulness, would take her back would receive her back unto himself. 
Chapter four onwards, pretty much chapter four to chapter 13 talks about God's judgments and God's dealing with Israel as a result of them going astray. Obviously I won't read all of those, I'm just gonna be reading Isaiah chapter four, one to seven. I think there might be a slight issue with the slides, so that might come up, not come up on the board, but I will I'll read it to us. This is Hosea chapter four, one to seven. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. It's quite sad, isn't it, that God's people had fallen so far that there was no faithfulness, no love. They weren't even acknowledging their covenant God. They'd fallen so far. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge, let no one accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. I find that very interesting where the Lord and Hosea are saying that the prophets have stumbled with the people. Because in a, in a bit, part two of the message, we're gonna look at what made Hosea different. How come he was a prophet that didn't stumble? He was a prophet that didn't turn away from the Lord. And um, so we'll look at that in a bit. So the Lord says, so I'll destroy your mother, for my people are destroyed from, na- from lack of knowledge. Very famous verse in the church and in Christianity. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And God's not talking about having degrees. He's not talking about intellectual knowledge. It's the knowledge of God's ways. It's the knowledge of God's heart. It's the the knowledge of what God loves and what God wants. When we are void of that, we go astray. Anyway, let's get on to verse six. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. So Israel, the northern kingdom, had exchanged the glorious God for something disgraceful. Let's fast forward a few chapters to Hosea chapter 14, and we get this beautiful promise of redemption and restoration for Israel. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer up the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I'll be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under the shadow shall return. They shall be revived like the grain and grow like the vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. 
So to recap chapter one, Hosea as a prophetic act is asked by God to marry an adulterous person as a prophetic message that God is, is married to an, an adulterous nation. Chapter three, after Hosea's wife goes astray, he's told by the Lord to love her again and to purchase her, her back to himself. This speaks of God's love and mercy and forgiveness. Chapter four, Hosea prophesies God's judgments and dealings with Israel. And chapter 14, we read God's heart desire and desire to redeem and restore the, the wayward nation of Israel. Some other interesting facts about the book of Hosea. In Hosea chapter 11, verse one, Hosea prophesies the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we find it in the New Testament in Matthew chapter two, verse 15. But Hosea 11, one says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew 2.15, Matthew quotes this, and Matthew writes, where he stayed, this is Jesus, until the death of Herod. So Jesus and the family went to Egypt to kind of flee the persecution um, because Herod was trying to kill this newborn king. Anyway, and Matthew 2.15 says, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. I just found it fascinating that Hosea prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ. Another important um, key verse in Hosea is something that the Apostle Paul quoted. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, 24 to 26, quoted Hosea 2, 23. So I'll just read these two verses. Paul writes, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. This is a direct reference to Hosea chapter two, 23. I'll plant, for her for, I'll plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one called not my loved one. I'll say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So Hosea prophesies of the coming Christ. Hosea prophesies of the Gentiles getting saved, of, the, of, of God just not having a covenant people of Israelite of Israel alone, but having a covenant people from all the nations of the earth. And Hosea reveals God's heart to love the unfaithful, God's heart to take back to himself the ones that he loves. And I, I found it quite heartbreaking because you know, you know, scripture tells us that God yearns for his people, that there's a jealous yearning and a jealous desire for his people. And Israel displayed an indifference towards God. Israel displayed a, a, God, we know you there, but we don't really want you. Here we have the creator yearning for his creation, longing to, to wrap his arms around Israel, longing to save them, to prosper them, to bless them, to draw near to them, to overshadow them. Israel were called to be separated and consecrated unto the Lord. They were called to be God's special people in a special relationship and covenant with the Lord God Almighty. But we see that a whole nation had turned their hearts to pursue other lovers, to pursue other gods, 
to worship other gods. They opened up their boundaries and their doors to the other nations and they started to mix their worship with the worship of false gods and, they, and, and wickedness and idolatry started to flood the land and God's crying out and he's broken, saying my own people have gone astray. And it's a travesty of travesties that the created would slam a door shut in the creator's face. And here we have a man, Hosea, that God says, Hosea, will you feel my heart? Will you experience my loss? Will you get a sense of the pain that I feel? I want you to go and marry an adulterous woman as a prophetic sign of what I'm going through. And Hosea as a prophet experienced what God was experiencing. He felt what God was feeling and he had to suffer what God was suffering. And then we see that there's judgments that come as a consequence and as a choice to turn from the living God. And God's judgments were not because God was angry that Israel had done something wrong. God was not a taskmaster in heaven. He was not a slave master trying to get a group of people to obey a set of rules and regulations. God's heart was broken because they broke fellowship with God the creator. They've chosen to turn away and to go aside. God can forgive sin. God can undo someone's wrong. But his judgments came not to punish them for making a mistake. God's judgments came because his ultimate goal was to turn the nation back to first love. God is the bridegroom God who's betrothed to his people. And the Bible says that God is a jealous God, that his love is jealous, it's fierce, it's bold. God, God won't share his people with another, an, an, another lover. As a husband who's married, it would be unthinkable of me to say, Rachel, you can go be promiscuous with whoever you want. It won't affect me. I won't get jealous. No, but as a husband, I'm jealous over my wife. She's cleaved to me. I'm hers and she is mine. I will not share my wife with another man. Why would God the Father share his people with another lover? It's the jealous love of God to cleave to that which he loves, that which he purchased, that which he desires, and that which is his. And as Christians, we have been purchased and bought with the blood of Jesus. Our life is not our own. Our life belongs to him. And that love can seem intense, it can seem restrictive, but it's the freest love and the freest life we can ever have is being completely yielded and surrendered to the Lord, where our hearts don't have any idols, our hearts don't have any other lovers, but our hearts are fully yielded to him. So I appreciated one of the worship songs that we sang this morning about God, I surrender. God, I give you everything that I am, all that I am, I give to you. And I wanna read Hosea 11, verse eight. This is a beautiful scripture that speaks of God's yearning for his people, even in their unfaithfulness. You know, God wouldn't give up on Israel. Even though Israel gave up on God, God would not give up on them. Hosea, verse 11, Hosea chapter 11, verse eight. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboam? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. So even for this adulterous nation, God's heart is stirred. It's churning within him, longing to encounter and embrace the people that he loves. And I've shared this before, I think, 
when, I, when I've preached, and, and I, I apologize for sharing it again, but when I first became a Christian, God gave me a grace, and um, it's about a few days after getting saved, I had a radical encounter where I met God, and he filled me with his Holy Spirit, and I was just blown away and in awe that there's a God who loves me and had revealed himself to me, but I got so filled with the presence of God and the love of God that everywhere I looked, I felt a tremendous burning desire of love for the people I could see. People that I didn't know, people that I didn't know very well. It was, sorry for, for getting off the platform, but I, I, I kind of demonstrated, let me use Martin's example. I'd, I got saved, by the way, when I was in the Royal Navy in Barbados, and then we, we got back on board and we went back out to sea, and I was just so full of God's love, I was almost overcome, I couldn't function and do my duties properly. And I'd walk past someone who's a member of the ship's company that I didn't know very well, and let's say it's Martin, he was maybe a senior rate, I was quite new on board, but I'd feel God's love, this yearning, this churning, and I'd start, my body would start to move because I just wanted to hug them. I just wanted to embrace them, but I knew that's weird, they're gonna think I'm crazy. And it would be a bit weird, and it would be crazy, but I was experiencing and feeling this intense, and I mean intense, longing and desire for people. It wasn't what I could get from them. I wasn't hugging, wanting to hug them so I could feel good about me, because let's be honest, hugs do feel good. But it was the love of God just pouring out of me, wanting to touch them, wanting to hold them, wanting to comfort them. And I was experiencing the Father heart of God for a people that he loves. And that scripture is so real to me. For God so loved the world. Not, it's not a human love, it's not a, a, just a, a tickle of emotion. It's a churning and a yearning in the bowels of God's being of a love and a longing for his creation and for the created. Because the reality is that we are God's children created by him and for him. And I love what Toby Mac said. Toby Mac said that we were created to be loved by God and created to love him. And the whole goal of God's creating mankind was to have intimacy and relationship with people. My heart churns within me, says the Lord. And you need to know that, because there are some people here that don't know that God's heart churns for you. You might feel lonely, you might feel forgotten, you might feel abandoned. Mankind, parents, friends, family, whatever it is, might have let you down and hurt you, but God loves you, God churns for you, God desires you. You're in this house, not by accident. God brought you here so you could hear a message that he loves you, he wants you, he desires you. Before the very foundations of the world, God created you and predestined a plan and a purpose for for your life. I prayed this morning, but basically the Bible says that you are God's masterstroke of genius on the canvas of his creativity. You are the very best that God could do. He knit you together in your mother's womb and before the foundation of the world, he chose that you would be alive at this time and in this place in human history. God loves you, he knows you and he desires to draw close to us. And I was very intrigued when, when kind of reading Hosea because if I'm honest, I hadn't really looked at I don't think I'd ever heard a sermon on Hosea. I hadn't read the book of Hosea. I knew that he was a prophet, I I knew the name, I knew it was a book in the Bible, 
But when I started to read it, and I was seeing all these themes and all these messages of God's love and Israel's betrayal and Hosea's obedience and faithfulness and God's gonna redeem and restore that which was lost. You know, so many different rabbit holes that we could go down. Kind of Hosea is like a multifaceted diamond. You know, you look one way, you see something new. You look another. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. But I was also very intrigued by Hosea the prophet, the person, this character. What was so special about him? What was so different about him? What can we learn about his life? And I want to start with Hosea the prophet. What is a prophet? You know, a prophet in the Bible, the very first prophet in the Bible was Abraham. Abraham was the very per- first person in Scripture to be called a prophet. But Abraham is one of the only people in the Bible to be directly called a friend of God. And I find that very interesting, that the very first prophet in Scripture is also one of the few called a friend of God. Another, another man similar to Abraham is Moses. Scripture makes clear that Moses was a prophet of the Lord. But Scripture also shows us that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And here we have Abraham birthed a nation, Moses established a nation. They are two key characters for the Israelites and for the Jews. Both of them were prophets and both of them were friends of the Lord. And I believe that the highest calling of a prophet in the Old Testament anyway is not just to prophesy the word of the Lord, is not just to live a prophetic message. Yes, it's to be a servant of God, but I believe that the highest call of a prophet is to be a friend of God, to be an intimate relationship and communion with God the Father. And it's out of this friendship and out of this intimacy that the word of the Lord comes and the word of the Lord flows. And I believe that Hosea was a true prophet, a true friend of the Lord in his generation because the book of Hosea shows us and tells us that Israel went astray, the priests went astray, the prophets went astray, But here we have a man who would not go astray. Here we have a man who would be faithful to God in a generation that was unfaithful. He'd be loyal to God in a generation where there was disloyalty. Hosea esteemed the Lord and he said, my heart shall not move. Hosea, like David, had a heart after God's own heart. And I I think this is so important because we live in a day and age where there's a lot going on in the world. I'm not gonna preach on that. I'm just gonna go to scripture for that. And I believe that if there is a prophetic message in what I'm saying now, it's that the life of Hosea is a prophetic message for us in our generation and in our day. I'm gonna read from Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 to 19. It says, take care, brothers, lest lest there be in any of you an un." an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. So that's Hebrews chapter three. Take care, be wary, have a look at your heart, Examine your own heart. Make sure there's no unbelief. There isn't any evil in your heart which causes us to fall away. 
1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 is a very sobering scripture. It says, so this is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says, that's a bold statement. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So the Spirit's expressly saying that in the latter days, I don't know if we're in the latter days, I'm not one of these doom and gloom kind of guys, you know, Bible says that no one knows the hour or the, the, the return of the Lord's coming. But I'd imagine that we are more in the latter days than we were during the day of Timothy. Timothy says, the Spirit expressly says that in latter days some will depart from the faith. Hosea, so in Hosea's day, there were people who were departing from the faith. There were were people who were turning away, but Hosea would not turn away. Book of Revelation 2, verse 4 to 5. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This is Jesus talking to the body of Christ. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. And Lord help me. <laughs> it's, I, I, I really want us to, to, to be aware and to be alert and to be sober that there is a temptation for the body of Christ to fall away. There is a temptation for people to go astray. There is a temptation to, to pursue the things of this world and for the, the love that we have for God to grow cold. But I feel like God wants to raise up a generation of Hoseas in our time and in our generation who will have hearts like David and will pursue the Lord their God with all their heart, who will have an undivided heart that will not go astray, that will have hearts that are faithful to God, hearts that are obedient to God, hearts that are loyal to God, not to tick a religious box, not to make God love me anymore, but because if you love me, you'll obey me is what Jesus said to his disciples. This obedience was not an obedience to try and make God happy with us, it's an obedience that God, I love you so much. God, my heart churns for you. God, I want you, that I'm gonna put away this temptation, I'm gonna put away my other lovers, I'm gonna put away the idols in my life because all I want is you and I'm gonna fiercely obey you and be loyal to you. Some might call that legalism, but I don't think so because nothing done out of love is legalistic. Nothing done out of love is legalistic. Legalism is trying to earn God's affection and favor based on your own righteousness. But we are made righteous, we are made holy, we are sanctified by nothing other than the blood of Jesus. While I was still a sinner that Christ died for me and gave me his righteousness, not because of what we've done by the works of our own hands, not because of anything we've done to press raisin cakes together, we are made righteous by his sacrifice and his work alone. And it's out of that foundation that my obedience is not trying to gain righteousness with God. My obedience is that a righteous God made me righteous and is madly head over heels in love with me. So I'm gonna 
love him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to seek him. And I'm going to find him when I seek him with all of my heart. Because they, uh, me and Alan were talking a little bit about this. Alan was like, man, I, he's so passionate about grace. And, and he, he, he really doesn't want God's people to fall into law again and legalism and following a set of rules and regulations. And I agree with him. Because God desires relationship. And when Jesus came to planet Earth, when Jesus walked the Earth, he fiercely opposed the religious leaders. He fiercely opposed the scribes and Pharisees. And these men were extremely righteous and godly by all accounts. They, they, they were very passionate and zealous to follow the letter of the law. By, by appearance, they did nothing wrong. But Jesus said, Jesus, he rebuked them and he said they whitewashed tombs, they ravenous wolves because he knew that they were trying to gain a right standing with God based on their own works. And there's nothing more prideful than mankind to say, I can stand before God because of what I've done. No, we stand before God because of what he's done. Because of those outstretched arms on the cross of Christ. Calvary that bled and ran red for you and me. And it's amazing in scripture that God could have so much grace for sinners and fiercely oppose righteous people. That's because our righteousness comes from him. And it doesn't mean that we don't pursue godliness. It doesn't mean that we don't pursue to live holy and pure as God's children. It's that we're so aware of God's love. God, I wanna obey you. God, I want to be pure because you love me. I don't want to be pure because the enemy and condemnation and guilt and shame is saying you better live right. You better change what you want. I want to live pure because God made me pure and he loves me. I want to live righteous because he is God and he made me righteous. I want the inward reality of what God did in my heart to reflect my outward acts and activities. The religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they gave an appearance of righteousness and godliness, but inside their hearts were rotten. But Jesus came to give us a new heart and to soften our hearts. Doesn't mean as Christians we don't struggle and battle with sin. It means that we have an advocate with the Father. We have an ever-present help in time of need. That if you have a soft heart and you say, God, I'm struggling. God, I need you. God, strengthen me. Spirit, encourage me. God, help me to overcome these giants that are in my life. God is not concerned about when you fall because though the righteous stumble, still he gets back up again. God is more concerned with you getting up again than you stumbling. The enemy is concerned with what you've done. God's concerned where he says, son, daughter, get back up again. Start to believe again. Have hope again. There is victory in my blood. You have a sling and a stone in your hand. I've given you weapons and armor for war. You're gonna slay your giants. You're gonna overcome because I overcame. Many of us, we're trying to overcome in our own strength. We can't try to overcome in our own power. But God says it's not by strength, it's not by might, it's by my spirit. And if you're born again, if you're a child of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that works in you and lives inside of you. We can do all things, say all things. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. The Bible says he infuses us with power in our inner man. I love the scripture, the surpassing greatness of God's power is available to us who believe. 
I'm way off piece, but that's okay. God is good. Yeah. Hallelujah. I believe, to just get back on the subject of the heart, that God wants to give us a heart, as I said earlier, like David. David made tremendous mistakes in the Bible. He messed up so many times. He did things that he shouldn't have done. I mean, one of the things that David did, which I love, is the Bible says he ate from the bread of the presence. He wasn't a priest, so he wasn't allowed to under the law. But he got away with it. God let him get away with it because I believe that David was a man after God's own heart. And it's in that context that we need to realize that it's not so much what we do, but it's who we seek, who we're searching for, who we're drawing near to. You know, Isaiah chapter four talks about a spirit of burning. And I feel like God wants to restore in us a spirit of burning and zeal and jealousy for God. Like, I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm my heart to say, Jesus. When I go to bed at night, I, I want my last thought not to be the Netflix show I've watched or the rugby that I watched on Saturday. I want my last thought to be, Jesus. And actually, if I'm totally honest, and I've prayed this so many times, I've said to God, I said, God, when I glimpse you, when I see you, when I feel your presence, when I, when I go into scripture and I see a character trait of, of God, I, I want my heart to skip a beat. I want to, breathless, because I've seen a glimpse of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Isaiah said, behold, I've seen the Lord. Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Isaiah has this vision and he sees the robe of the Lord filling the temple and he cries out. And I feel like we can't help but cry out when we see God for who he really is. I wanna share, I've not shared this testimony with many people. I was at a worship conference in 2018. I I had an experience where, I don't know how to describe this properly, but during worship, I was just crying out to God and I was just feeling his heart and his love and I had an encounter with God where, where it was like my heart, I don't know if it was my heart or my spirit, but I, I, I got caught up like this and I had this open vision. And um, for those that might not, or maybe new to church, not familiar with that, we believe that the Holy Spirit gives visions and dreams and, and experiences to people that are beyond the natural sight. Anyway, I had this vision where I saw something with, with the eyes of my heart and I saw Father God in heaven and he was spinning around wildly and he was dancing and he's just in love with his people and he was just in awe that his people were gazing upon him and worshiping him. And, and, and because I saw him, something happened in my heart. It was like something changed. You know, the Bible says those who look upon the Lord are radiant and never covered in shame. As we, Bible says also that as we behold the glory of God, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. And because I saw the Lord, something happened in my heart and I, and I felt like my heart got set on fire. Then the vision ended and I looked down at my chest and I could see living flames of fire in my chest. The Bible says that God's love is like a raging fire that many waters cannot quench. And I wanna behold God, I wanna be on fire for him, I wanna be passionate for him, I wanna be jealously and zealously in love with the Lord because I've done the backsliding, 
I've done, I've been a gomer in many ways. I've fallen away from the Lord. I've fallen to temptation. I've taken time out of my Christian walk, but I've always come crawling back to a father with arms wide open. Like the prodigal son, I've, I've enjoyed the pigsty and I've fallen in the dirt, but there was always a father to come and wipe off the mess, to receive me back. I've said to God, I said, God, take away an unbelieving heart from me. God, take away an adulterous heart from me. God, I wanna love you, I wanna seek you, and I wanna find you in the land of the living. God, I wanna burn in a generation that doesn't burn. God, I wanna hunger in a generation that doesn't hunger. God, I wanna be like a Hosea that won't go astray, that won't follow the masses, but will be faithful to you, will be loyal to you. And I believe with all my heart that when God finds a people without mixture, when he finds a people with undivided hearts, when he finds a people that won't share their loyalty with another, He'll pour out his spirit without measure. I believe that because the Bible prophesies it, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will dream dreams and old men will see visions. Might be the other way around, probably is. But anyway, I'll have both, Lord. I think I'm in that middle ground, young but getting old. So, Lord, I'll have both. But Hosea as a man, I believe, is a prophetic character for our generation. That his obedience was not to tick a religious box. His obedience wasn't to appease God and to make God love him more. His obedience wasn't just a, oh, it's church today and life group on Thursday and just, you know, lukewarm Christianity. Hosea loved the Lord. He was a friend of, the, of God. And I, I honestly believe this, that Hosea didn't so much suffer for God I believe he suffered with God, as God's friend. I think that's a big difference. He's saying, God, I'll willingly suffer what you suffered. God, I'll go through what you're going through because I'm your friend and I love you and you love me. Amen. Amen. A call to repentance. Hosea chapter six, one to six. I wouldn't presume to try and say what's right in your life, what's not right in your life. It's probably safe to say in a church this big with a wide audience that there probably are things in our lives that we need to put on the altar. Maybe there's loves in our lives where we're more in love with the things of this world than we are with God. Maybe we can look at our life and say, man, 10 years ago, I was so in love with you, Jesus. 10 years ago, I couldn't wait to come to church and lift up holy hands and worship you. Lord, I remember my heart just being so soft and so tender and waking up just wanting more of you. Maybe your love's grown cold. Maybe there's a struggle, a difficulty, an issue in your life which has become an idol, has become a high place in your life which is taking God's place on the throne of your heart. One thing I know, there is grace this morning. There is mercy this morning. The Bible says boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. Come and let us return to the Lord. For he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Just as Christ was raised, God can raise us up. Do you know he can resurrect your dreams? He can resurrect your desires? He can resurrect your destiny? God can resurrect your love and your passion. The Bible says God's love's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We only love God because he first loved us. You don't have to go find some love and say, God, I found some love to love you with. 
You come to the Lord empty handed and say, God, I have nothing. You came to the Lord in the first place with nothing. What stops us coming? Say, God, I've got nothing. Fill my heart with your love. Baptize my heart afresh in your fire. Fill me with a passion for your name again, Lord. The Lord can do it. Say, God, I left my sling and I left my stone on the floor. I've allowed these giants to rule and reign in my life. God says, pick up your stone. Pick up your sling. Greater is he who's in you than he is in the world. And it's time for giants to be slain in our life, in our church, and in our land. In Jesus' name. Amen. Clive, I don't know if there's anything you on your heart. Yeah, thank you. I think so, I think so. Yeah. Stay with me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank this you. This is wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Just, that's wonderful. And let this sink into our hearts. I've just got a... Uh, we're nearly done and we need to go and collect the children soon so perhaps the band can come and play us out as we go and collect children but there's a little bit at the end of Hosea 2 I felt as I was listening to Ash so wonderfully explain Hosea's heart there's a bit where God says I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one and I will say to those called not my people you are my people and they will say you are my God so let's do that shall we I'm, I'll play God. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I will read this scripture. You are my people. And can we make a response? You are my God, okay? So it's like repentance is wrapped up in that, the sense of the Father heart of God. So shall we stand together? Shall we stand together? Just having heard a beautiful unwrapping of how Father thinks about us. And if you've got time this afternoon, just go back to Hosea chapter 11. I mean, Ash has had a wonderful book to, our ex to open up to us, but goodness, there's so much in it. Check out Hosea chapter 11 if you think that God feels cold towards you. <laughs> okay, so when I say, I will say to those people who are called not my people, you are my people, would you please reply to God, you are my God. Okay, and to the person, persons who put their hand up and said, I want to become a believer, we'd love to speak to you afterwards. So don't, don't slip away, will you? Okay. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. You are my God. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for what we've heard this morning. Lord, please let it settle in our hearts that you are a jealous God but in your jealousy, you don't vent your fury on us. You lay your life down for us. What a God. He's 100% human and 100% divine is our Lord Jesus. And we've just felt it and heard it and experienced it this morning. We love you, Lord. And we commit our ways to you until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.